0: We'll uh, stand and read from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So John 14, starting at verse 19, or John chapter 14, starting at verse 19, and we'll read through verse 24. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? and not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word that Jesus spoke of and that we continue to speak of to this day. We pray, Lord, that you would honor him, uh, honor this living word, and honor this eternal word. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would uh, think clearly, speak clearly, understand clearly uh, this word, and that you would apply it to our hearts and guide us into the future and living it out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to read the first three verses again. And so go ahead and try to pay attention, uh, uh, parse this as Jesus is speaking this. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also at that day. You will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, we know in the Christian church, being Christians, worshiping God, we know that the Bible is a holy book. The Bible is a spiritual book. It's the holy writings. It's scripture. We know that there are other religions on this earth that that claim their Writings to be scriptural as well and perhaps you've read some of those. I know I've read some of those I think it's incumbent upon anybody who takes Christianity seriously to uh, Deal with the other religions that claim equal Significance equal merit on this earth and I don't know about you, but if you've studied any of those other writings What I come away with impressed by is the fact that they try to be completely spiritual. And I think that's where they go off the rails. The Bible, in many ways, is just so practical. It's so down-to-earth. I would say that 90% of the Bible can be easily understood by anybody picking it up and reading it. There's so much narrative that you can really understand this. You You can follow the stories, follow the trains of thought, things might occur that you don't agree with if you're not a christian the donkey speaking to balaam you might scoff at that but you can track it you can follow it you can understand it but when you read the hindu scriptures when you read the muslim scriptures they're different all of them always try to emphasize how special they are how otherworldly they are And so I think that we Christians forget sometimes just how practical the Bible is and so you come to read John 14 19 through 21 and you're unprepared for this this is all spiritual and we've been spoiled I think as Christians in having a God who relates to us as a being as a person on this earth and we can sometimes drift out of touch with the spiritual, the purely spiritual acts that, are, that this is recording. Let me read it to you again. Put yourself in the place of these apostles. These are the last few hours that Jesus has with them, and he's emphasizing these things. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. It's puzzling. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Very confusing. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now later, he also says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him again this is weird. This is confusing. I think these apostles are justifiably puzzled. And yet, this is the final admonitions of Christ. This is what he wants to leave with them. And in a sense, he's imparting this responsibility to speak totally spiritually to his apostles They're to carry this on, but they can't become so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly use, or they can't relate to people. And so he's modeled for three years how they are to relate to people. Yet here he's reminding them that Christianity ultimately is about another world, which we in this world just see tiny glimpses of. And so he's speaking to them, I think, with his feet firmly planted in that other world, that other way of thinking, of reflecting on reality. And they're shocked by this. They're puzzled by this. This is what Judas, not Iscariot, said. We know Judas has left, but, you know, that was a couple chapters ago. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Now, this is a rational question. I think it's very logical, and you might think that this is really what Judas is getting at. He's getting at the underlying puzzle. He wants the puzzle solved. He's a curious person. He wants to understand the puzzle. That could be, but I think there's more to what Judas is saying and why he's saying it. Why won't you want to manifest yourself to the world, I think is what's behind what Judas is saying. Why only manifest yourself to us? We want you to come here and transform this world, to kick these Romans out, to kick these Jewish uh, leaders that we have that are uh, complicit with the Romans out. We want the glory of what we had before restored. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're living out. And that's what Judas, I think, is talking about. He doesn't just want to understand the puzzle. He wants to know why Jesus won't manifest himself to the world. So this is a good question. And see, we might look back at these apostles and think, well, you know, they didn't know what we know. They don't know how to live like we know how to live. We know so much more now that Paul's written much of the New Testament for us but I think we live in just the same way as these apostles in many ways. The the same way that Judas wants this tangible manifestation of Christ to be demonstrated to the entire world, we want it too. So why? And I don't think that's irrational. I don't think that's a bad desire. But what Jesus promises him is something better. So we all have to understand what that better is. So let's look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now he's answering Judas's question about how he will be able to see Jesus and the world not see Jesus. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me so see he's answered now judas's question what is the answer and how does it answer our hunger to have judas uh, jesus manifested in this world like judas wants so see i think we have to realize that jesus perfectly lived out in this flesh this physical reality bound by all of these uh, rules that we know aren't laws fixed by nature, but they're actually uh, principles upheld by God that he can violate whenever he wants to. He He can make us float up, as was mentioned in one of the talks. God can turn off gravity and suddenly we hit the ceiling. He could do that if he wants to, but he chooses not to. He's made for us this reasonable, rational world for our comfort, for our joy the uh, vivid monsters that we might imagine in our imaginations, they aren't real. That's what's so beautiful about this world. God just isn't out to trick us to have all this stuff suddenly spring upon us in reality that he could do. He could do it like that. But it's not his plan. It's not what he wants to do with us. So what is it that he wants to do? He wants to demonstrate an intimacy that only we can sense, that only we can appreciate. Sometimes, and I'm not saying this to castigate anybody, but sometimes when I see certain things on Facebook, I think, you know, some of these sentiments are things that are probably best shared with that person that you're speaking to in this Facebook post, as opposed to the whole world. Now, they want the whole world to know what they're saying, obviously, and that's why they're sharing it. And I can understand that. When we love someone, we want the whole world to know that we love that someone. And so there's a time and a place for that. But there's also a time and a place for an intimacy that's only between you and that loved one. That's where you're really intimate. So see, Jesus could prove to the world that he exists in any instant of time, and we know this, and sometimes we're frustrated by the fact that he doesn't. But see, how is it that he's manifesting himself in our lives? He's in our hearts. So see, is this real enough for you? That's what I ask you. That's what you have to recognize. Is this enough for you? Because see, as creatures, we often want more. We want to feel God in a much more tangible way. We want to share Him with our friends in a such simpler way. There's a place for evidential apologetics. And yet, if our underlying desire is to prove out to our friends uh, that God exists, and therefore, because I've made this rational argument, you must accept that He exists, and you must embrace Him as I embrace Him, we miss the fact that Our relationship with God, first and foremost, is based on an intimacy of love that He initiated with us. We are in a loving relationship with a God who knows us, created us, redeems us. So we want that for others, that's fine. But what you don't want for others is just a demonstration of the power of God. That's not what God's about. God is about this intimate love. And so see, Christ's words, In 19, he says, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. So what he's saying there is you need spiritual eyes to see me. Soon, I will be taken away from you. You will need spiritual eyes then to see me and perceive me. Because I live, you will live also. So see now, he's living now, and he says, because I live. But he's not speaking of this. He's speaking of his death and the life that he will be living immediately after that physical death. And so, see, we are raised with Him in glory as well, even while in this flesh. We are seated with God in the heavenly places. So, see, the intimacy between the Father and the Son, that intimacy which Christ explains is the same intimacy we will enjoy with the Father and the Son. And that beachhead that the Holy Spirit established in our dark hearts when He saved us is room not only for Him, but for the Trinity, This clearly says that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all live within us as believers. And also this clearly points out that obedience is a reflection of our state with God, our love of God, as opposed to a means of earning that place that we want to have with God. So I titled this little message, a disappointing manifestation. Because I think Judas was initially disappointed. The apostles were disappointed. They want Jesus to be open to the whole world. But see, that is us being disappointed in our flesh, in our spirits, in our intimate relationship with God that we alone have. We should be glorifying in this relationship that we have, not being disappointed in any way. We know that Christ has nothing to prove on this earth. And so it is frustrating to us to deal with the, the, uh, the folks out there that are constantly bashing Christ, constantly bashing the Bible and Christianity. But let's just be patient and kind and loving just as Christ was. So as we come to the table, we partake of physical matter and yet We are seeking spiritual nourishment. This table every week connects us to this reality that Jesus is demonstrating to his apostles is absolutely vital to us living out lives of obedience to him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this truth of your word. We thank you for the relationship that you have established with your children. We do not want to be uh, considering that this is lacking in any way that it would be so much sweeter if it were something open and public and posted on Facebook. Father, we want to love you. We want your uh, Father, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be at home in our hearts. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have to live in you, to be intimate with you, and we treasure it. It is something we want to share with people, but it is such a private, personal, intimate thing that it is not based on some logical argument and browbeating people into submission. Father, it is so based on your love of us, your love and touching us in this world. So we thank you, Father, and pray that you would give us a kindness and a patience that surpasses all understanding, and that you would grant us the opportunity to share this intimate relationship we have with you with others that we know and love and know they don't have it with you. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name now, as you draw us close to yourself at the Lord's table. Amen.